0: Hi, this is Redesigning the End, I'm Brian Hayden, and here's a clip from one of my all-time favorite movies.
1: That man is your Papa Julio, and
2: there's Tia Rosita, and your Tia Victoria, and those two are Oscar and Felipe. These aren't just old pictures, they're our family, and they're counting on us to remember them.
0: It's Coco. You already knew that. It's so good. So this episode, it's about legacy and how we want to be remembered. And it turns out the mental model that you have for your legacy, it really impacts your priorities and your actions throughout your life. And it's one of these foundational ideas that just drives who you are. And I'm really excited to present a different way to think about it, possibly a better way that's more sustainable, makes us happier, better people. And the thing that got me thinking about this was the 20th anniversary of September 11th.
2: Question before us, as always, is how do we preserve the legacy of those we lost? How do we live up to their example, and how do we keep their spirit alive in our own hearts?
0: I haven't forgotten, have seen the and I've the general- shared a lot of memories with my kids who weren't alive at the time to help them understand what happened. But this week, I've been wondering. Why is it so important to remember? You know, what exactly is the purpose of remembering? And how much remembering is the right amount? Thomas Campbell was a 19th century Scottish poet. He said, to live in hearts we leave behind is not to die. So the idea that we can live on through the memories of our loved ones is actually relatively new. Nobody wants to be forgotten. But if I'm really honest, remembering and being remembered it feels like a lot of pressure. Uh, It's pressure that I'm putting on myself to do memorable things, but also on my family to document and remember me appropriately. And there aren't any clear procedural guidelines about how to do it and how much is enough. Somebody who's been feeling that kind of pressure is my friend, Jean. And I want you to meet Jean. She's an artist, a mother, a wife, a friend, and a daughter. And her parents immigrated to the U.S. from Taiwan in the 1960s. They showed up in Hyde Park, Illinois, with like 800 bucks. They built a medical practice, a family, and a life together in this new place starting from nothing. But Jean was sharing with me that they don't talk about it all the time, and there's a lot she still doesn't know. So as the family moves into a new phase and people get older, that's weighing on her.
1: There's that period, right, where all of a sudden... The children are the caretakers of the parents and for them I can see they worry about legacy they worry about being remembered they don't talk about that at all it's just through their their grumpy. if they if my father's grumpy about something like someone's not listening to him anymore like I find it just, it's just sort of like they're feeling he even mentioned it to me the other day he's feeling his confidence wane you know and just like his authority wane, you know. What I think of is the legacy and the stories that they actually have not completely shared with us. Because I have immigrant I mean, we're an immigrant family. And there's a lot of story that just never got passed on to us, but I feel like it could still be passed on to my children in some form. Like like if I ask, my dad will talk about it. We, I just don't ask. I don't ask the stories of like I don't know, like how did my grandparents meet? like how did they get married? What were their jobs? I don't even know. I think there's something like my grandmother filled sacks of rice you know my my grandfather worked for the government. There's some turmoil, you know, with conflict with China and Taiwan, <laughs> you know people losing jobs, people losing land like and adoptions like there's stuff there, and I haven't asked. We just weren't. Raised that way, but I feel like if I ask, he's at a point in his life where he's very willing to talk. And in some ways, I I do want to figure out a way to pass that on to my kids. So then I ask, Well, what are we waiting for? You know, what, but what kind of environment do you need to be in to start like talking about that? You know, they come over, the kids are screaming, you know, it's like it's very chaotic all the time. Like, one kid's sitting on the other, I'm not going to start talking about like, so tell me about what it was like when you left Taiwan 20 years ago, you know, there's very few choice moments where you can start doing that. And we used to do that, you know, when I was coming home from college, I, I remember this, I'd fly home from the East Coast and my dad would pick me up and we'd have like a an hour ride back home or something. And it was actually a nice hour of just conversation. We don't have a lot of that anymore, but to kind of create that again would be just kind of have to find that time.
0: We can all relate to that feeling, that fear that the family legacy or history is going to be lost. And we combat that by telling stories, writing it down, taking pictures and videos. For famous people, we build monuments. But I guess I've always wondered if there was a different way of thinking about legacy one where the legacy is just embodied in the culture and the environment around us and living the life is an end in itself. And I feel like that's what we've got next. It's from a a book written by the author Rebecca Solnit. She's an award-winning author. She's written a lot of nonfiction books that required years of research and writing and editing. But the most popular thing she ever wrote, it was an essay called Men Explain Things to Me and it took her like two hours to write. She wrote it so effortlessly because it was based on a lifetime of experience and it spoke truth about how women are casually marginalized. So women all over the world recognized that truth immediately and it was a big influence on the Me Too movement. So in her memoir, she talks about how legacy and why being remembered isn't actually what matters. And I want you to hear the whole passage because it totally just changed how I think about my own legacy.
2: When you pursue creative work, immortality is often held up as an ideal. You're supposed to aspire to make something that will be recognized and that will, as they say, keep your name alive. And it's true that words are alive when they're read or heard. But I learned from the artists I researched and wrote about and the movements that changed the culture that there are two ways of making contributions that matter. One is to make work that stays visible before people's eyes. The other is to make work that is so deeply absorbed that it ceases to be what people see and becomes how they see. It is no longer in front of them, it's inside them. It is no longer the artist. It's the people who are no longer only the audience. Works of art that had an impact in their time sometimes look dated or obvious because what was fresh and even insurrectionary about them has become the ordinary way things are, how we edit films or see history or nature or sexuality or understand rights and their violations. Thus, the vision of one or of a few becomes the perspective of many. They have been rendered obsolete by their success. I've sometimes thought immortality is a desert idea from the monotheistic fanaticisms of the desert, where a scar or a treasure can last for thousands of years, where some Bedouin shepherds can take the Dead Sea Scrolls out of a jar in a cave about 2,200 years after they were put there, including the Book of Isaiah, reminding us that, quote, all flesh is grass. In humid places, everything's decay, and much decays back into the soil. And that soil nurtures new life. And perhaps the best thing creative work can do is to compost into the soil so that, unremembered, it becomes the food of a new era. Or rather, devoured, digested, the very consciousness of that era. Marble lasts, but soil feeds.
0: That passage makes me feel like the goal isn't to just do memorable things. It's to have an impact, to nudge the world in the right direction, to do things that sustain the people that I care about, and that maybe that's enough. Gene, thank you so much for sharing your family story. Laura, I love you. Thanks so much for reading the Rebecca Solnit passage. Pack Couples, Hotels and Highways, thank you for the use of your original music. If you're interested in learning more uh, about Green Burial or Medicare or home funerals, you can find all those courses at our website, redesigningtheend.com. My name is Brian Hayden. Thanks for listening.